Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Amen. Well, I was enjoying that video for the last time and enjoy the beautiful scenery for the last time. We are, believe it or not, we are finishing up our series on the book of Esther this week. If this is, if this is your first Sunday with us, we're glad you're here. You're catching us at the end of the series, no problem. Whether you're here or online, you can go back on YouTube, catch all the sermons, or just simply open up your Bible and read from chapter 1 all the way to the very, very short chapter 10. Today we're going to be tackling chapters 8 and 9, a little bit of chapter 10 there to kind of close this thing out. What an incredible story. I mean, I love stories. It, it captured our hearts on day one and all the way to this point, it has our attention. And so because of that, we want to dig into the story. But before we do that, I have a little history lesson for you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a book. Oh, they have a special smell. I know you probably haven't seen one in a while, and it's been even longer since you've actually held one in your hands, but here's the good news. We have museums filled with these ancient artifacts all over the city. They're called libraries. You can walk into these museums, and they have these ancient artifacts. In fact, they'll even let you pull them down. They'll even let you touch them and open them. You know, they have a special smell, a special look, and it feels like something real when you got it in your hand. I, I know. I'm giving you a hard time about reading. I know. I know Americans still read <laughs> Facebook posts and, and the, the newsreel on your cell phone. I know every once in a while we'll, we'll download a whole book onto our cell phone and we'll get a couple chapters in. But, but it's, there's something special about grabbing a book and holding on to it. It just feels different. You feel like you're in the story. Stories are important. Think about, think about your story. What if, they made, what if they made a book out of your story? They wrote it down. What, what, what genre would it be? <laughs> a comedy? <laughs> drama? I know there's lots of drama in this room. <laughs> would it be a tragedy? You know, if we looked at the story of Esther, what, 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 what literarians would say, especially Greek literarians would say, they say Esther is a perfect Greek comedy. Did you see that one coming? I mean, with all the, the annihilation and the killing and the, the poles and the, well, you get the story. How is that a comedy? Well, for the Greeks, a comedy had a very simple formula. The, the hero or the heroine or, or the heroes, whoever it was, they started out pretty well at the beginning, kind of okay in, in the middle of life. And then there was a big crash. There was a big crisis. There was a fall. And because of this fall, something had to happen. Something had to change. And by the end, before the story ended, they were back on top, maybe even, maybe even ahead of where they started. That was the formula for a Greek Comedy, that's exactly what we see here. We started out with, with Queen Esther before she was Queen Esther. She was just a pretty little orphan girl, but her beauty was so, so spectacular. She won a beauty pageant, the most beautiful woman in the whole kingdom. That led her to meeting the king, marrying the king, moving into the palace and becoming queen of the largest, most powerful nation and, and kingdom that had ever existed. And then the old evil Haman... <clears throat> 
Thank you. He jumps onto the scene and he starts to attack her personally, also her cousin Mordecai, and then eventually her family, and eventually her whole people. And it looks like not only were they going to die, but every Jew in this entire kingdom was going to die. And, but God won the day, and that, in fact, did not happen. Now we're coming into chapter 8, and not only is Haman gone, but now, thank you, not only is Haman gone, but now God is pouring on the blessings pouring on the blessings for Esther, pouring on the blessings for Mordecai, pouring on the blessings for his people. This is a perfect comedy. Here's the deal. As we look at the story of Esther, as we look at old Greek, old Greek uh, comedies and, and stories, I, I notice how, how much that resembles our life with Christ as well. And we all started out pretty much okay. Most of us were cute babies. I know the Bible says we're born with Adam's sin in us, that which separates us from God. But babies are, are so darn cute, it's, it's hard to see that until they turn out to be teenagers. And then it's very easy to see the, the depravity that is inborn in us. So, so at some point, whether it's the teenage years or the college years or something beyond that, we, we take a dive. And there's, a, there's a crisis, there's a fall, a falling out, if you will, between us and God, and, and many of us are stuck there for years, maybe even decades, but then we meet Jesus, and that changes everything, not only for our life and, and for our time here on earth, not only the, the hope and the joy and the, and the abundant life that that gives us, but it gives us an entire eternity of hope with God. So this is that, that, same, kind of, that same kind of Greek comedy that reflects our lives. Our lives are very, are very much that same kind of a story. So if that is true, who is writing that story? You or the author of life? As we dig into these last couple of chapters to understand how God kind of, kind of finishes out the story of Esther and Mordecai, I want us to look at it as if God is writing our story as well. Because I believe that just as he wrote in the most incredible finish that anyone, I mean, not even could have imagined, but beyond imagination, what God writes here, God is doing the same in your life and in my life as well. So open up your Bible to the book of Esther, chapter 8. If you have your cell phone, you can catch the notes on there. Just aim it at the little QR code. The, the sermon notes and the sermon text will pop up, or, or you can just catch it on the screen behind me. Esther, chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1, talking about what would it look like if, if God would write our story as well. Because God, when he's writing our story, first of all, first of all, he sets us up for success. Number one, he sets us up for success. What does that look like? Well, let me give you a little backstory first. So uh, if you were here last week or you've read the book of Esther before, at the end of chapter 7, we end the story with old Haman. Thank you. Old Haman hanging, literally hanging on a 75-foot pole in his own backyard. Sorry, there's no way to sugarcoat that, no way to make that pretty. It was as ugly and as gross and as disgusting as you can imagine. But he's still hanging there as we take up the story in chapter 8. So he is gone and literally hanging out. Second of all, in chapter 8, God begins to pour on the blessings for Esther. She, from the king, receives all of Haman's belongings, all of Haman's estate, everything that once was his. And then Mordecai, remember he's a cousin of Esther, God begins to bless him and pour on the blessings to him, the king pulls the signet ring off of the evil Haman and puts it on Mordecai's ring, making him, in effect, the most powerful man in the kingdom after the king, the most trusted man in the kingdom after the king. He had complete authority. Talk about the ultimate blank check. Whatever he signed with that signet ring of the king, 
goes. I mean, he was as big as they get. And then, and then we're, this is where we're going to pick up the story. There was a new edict, a new law written. Remember the old edict? The old edict was from, from the evil Haman to destroy all the Jews on a certain day. That one was coming up in the future. They had written that on the 13th day of the first month. Now we're on the 23rd day of the third month. So a few months in, that means in just nine short months, all the Jews were still going to be eradicated, annihilated, destroyed, killed. They, Wait a minute, what, how could that be? We just, we just saw Haman hanging the pole. In fact, if I go outside, I can still catch him swaying in the wind. How come that's still going to happen? Well, you remember how it worked with these edicts back then. No one could revoke them, not even the king. So even though the evil Haman is dead, the edict is still good. In nine short months, every Jew in this humongous kingdom will be killed. There is no way... There is no way to reboot that or change that. Here's the deal. Uh, old Haman had set up a holiday. It was, uh, it was slaughter your favorite Hebrew day. It was kill your favorite Jew day. There's no way to make that pretty. There's no way to make that a joke. There's no way to, to wipe that away and pretend like it didn't happen. It, this, this isn't just some, some ethical fairy tale to teach us valuable lessons for life. This really happened. They had real names. They were real people. It really happened. Here's the deal. The evil to put together and move the pieces together to create a plot like that to eradicate every single one of God's children on the face of this earth in the largest kingdom that had ever existed thousands of years ago. That same evil exists today. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. It almost happened a few years ago. Don't kid yourself. Guess who you are? You're the people of God. He's coming for you. He's coming for me. And just like it almost worked thousands of years ago, just like it almost worked about 70 years ago, if we're not careful, we do not pray, we do not watch the times, it could happen today. So please pay attention. There was no reboot. So the only way they could, the only way they could combat this this law, this edict that was still very much in place was to create an edict that kind of counteracted and gave the Jews the ability. So let's look at chapter 8, verse 11. Let me, let me read it to you. Chapter 8, verse 11. So the king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right, number one, number one, the right to assemble. Number two, the right to protect themselves. Number three, the right to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children. And then number four, and to plunder the property of their enemies. Let's just stop right there. That's, that, this is this new edict. Remember, they couldn't just cancel the old one. The king couldn't say, okay, change my mind. That one's no good anymore. Uh, let, let's go on as if nothing happened. That was not possible because of their laws. So we had to create a new edict, and this was it that would counteract that. So what is, what is God saying here? What did the edict say? There are four words that were crucial, and, and, and Mordecai, Believer, follower of God, he's the one that kind of, kind of put this together and created this, wrote these words down. So these words must be really important. Number one, he said, uh, we, we need the right to assemble. Now, you might think, okay, there's an army. They're coming with swords and guns and spears. They want to, uh, not guns, sorry, swords and, and spears and, and all kinds of gross stuff to kill us. So we're going to need to assemble the troops, rally the troops, pull in really close, get ready because they're coming. That's not the word. There is a word for that in Hebrew. This is not that word. This word for assemble is to assemble like we're assembling in church. 
to, to congregate like we're getting together to pray, to, to pull together like we're having a worship service. This is that word. What are you talking about? No, no, now's the time to grab the sword, grab the, grab the spear, to, to pull in tight, get ready. The, the enemy's coming. We're going to have to fight back as hard as we can. That's not the word he's using at all. He's using the word, now's the time to pull together and to pray. Now's the time to pull together and to worship. Now's the time to pull together and have that sweet fellowship that we can only enjoy with brothers and sisters. This is the word that God chooses to use here. And then he, he takes it a step further. He says, and to protect and this word protect uh, means not to go and uh, to charge against the enemy or, or even to run away. It means simply just to stand your ground, hold your ground. Folks, in, in, this, uh, in this battle against the evil one and the, and the powers that be in our society, there is a time to, to take the charge and to, to do battle for the Lord. But here, and many times, it is exactly this. God says, just hold your ground. Do not give up another inch this far and no further. And then God says a very interesting thing, especially for us with uh, ears from 2022. He's talking about killing, annihilating, destroying. Ah, we don't, that's, that's, that's not really, I, I don't, God, I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't know if that's the kind of Christian I want to be. You know, the whole war and chopping off heads thing that was kind of back then, not so much now. What do you, what do you mean by that, God. Well, again, if we dig into this word, it was not so much uh, to kill and, and, and to destroy people as much it was to kill, uh, excuse me, uh, to destroy, to destroy any kind of enemy embankment. In fact, the words were not only embankment, but a, a rampart or a wall, any defenses the enemy may have. This is what we're supposed to go after. Now, it is true. Sometimes the enemy places army, which are men and women, fighting against us as an embankment, as a defense. And so, yeah, there is going to be some bloodshed. But really, the, the, the main gist of this is to fight against anything the enemy would throw up to keep us from winning more space, more, more land, more, more, more kingdom for God. And then finally, the word plunder. We all know what that is, the spoils of war, the, you know, the, the, the booty goes to the winner, right? Well, that's, that's not what God's saying here. Don't go grab everything you can grab. This is the idea of getting back what was stolen from you. How much is the enemy stolen? The Bible talks about that, calls him a thief. The enemy comes in the night to take what is not his. What has he taken from you, from your family? God's calling us to go and take back our children. God is calling us to go and take back our grandchildren. God is going us to take back our innocence and our culture and that which God has given us, that which is ours in Jesus' name. God is calling us to take it back. So, so first of all, we need to understand that that's what God is calling us to. He, he sets us up for success as we begin, but then we need to understand not only is he setting us up for success towards the outside, towards the enemy, but he's also doing something in us. Number two, uh, we need to understand that our self must die. Our self must die. Look over at verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 9. Look at verse 5. Chapter 9, verse 5. We're going to dig into a passage with, with a whole bunch of names. I know how much we all love those Old Testament names, right? Uh, you remember the old days when you used to be in Sunday school class and you go around the, the room and each one would read a verse. You say, oh, Lord, Lord, please don't get to me when we get to Hasidatha and then uh, Maliakatha and Zedekiah and all those tough ones. Well, this is one of those passages. Verse 5. The Jews struck down all their enemies 
with the sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. And here comes verse 7. They also killed Parshadantha, Dalphon, Aspatha, Poratha, Adalia, Aridatha, Parmashta, Arasai, Aridai, and Vaisatha. There's a list for you, right? A lot of times when we read this passage, we read this story, especially in, in the book of Esther, there's so much meat, there's so much good stuff, there's so much encouraging stuff, there's so much action. We get to these long lists of names, especially the, the ones that are kind of hard to pronounce. We kind of skim right through that. And we say, and all the sons, and all the sons of Haman. We just kind of skip right through them. But this is super important. We need to understand why. If we were to take the time, you looked at some of the original texts of the book of Esther and the original writings, what it originally looked like, you would see that Hebrew, unlike English, is read from the right to the left. Just English, we read from the left to the right. We all know that. You would learn that if you ever picked up one of these, right? So anyway, so, so in Hebrew, it's the other way. It is all written in a straight line, almost with no punctuation, almost with no breaks. I mean, it's just, it's just a straight line until you get to this passage. And then you say these, see these 10 names listed out all by themselves in a nice clean column, separated out, set apart. Why? Nowhere else in the Old Testament do we see something like this, only here with these 10 names. Why? It's almost like the author, it's almost like the author wanted us to take note, to pay attention. Pay attention, there's something special about these 10 names. Well, what does it mean? They're, they're not even Hebrew names. They're, they're Persian names. Why are they important to us? Here's the deal. Every single one of these names, all 10 of them, includes somewhere in there the word in English, self. Everyone is uh, uh, self-assured, self-sufficient, self-indulgent. Every single one of these names includes the word self. Now, I know you're not surprised Knowing who the father was, Haman, he served himself, so he named his kids. Self comes first. What I think is so important here in the story of Esther, they knew there could be no victory until self died. All of self must die before there could be victory for God's people. And God wanted them to notice that, and God wanted them to remember that. And so one after the other after the other, ten in a row, ten times self must die before victory is won. Haman served himself. Haman promoted himself, and he died because of that. Esther, on the other hand, she gave up herself. She, she said, if I perish, I perish. And because of that, she was raised up, and she was honored. Honored. In the New Testament, we read in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, what good is it if you gain the whole world, yet you forfeit your soul? Pride always leads to destruction. Humility always leads to honor. Let me give you an example. Do you remember in the story of Esther and Mordecai at the very beginning? Mordecai had heard about the evil plot of Haman, and he comes, he wants to get word to Esther. He can't see her personally, so he sends word to her and says, listen, this is about to happen. We've got to do something, and you're the only one that can change it. I know we've been talking about hiding who we truly are, thinking about ourselves, looking out for number one, but those days are over. Now, now we need to think about our people. You must go to the king. You must out yourself. You must tell him. And what does she do? Um, I don't know. 
Uh, it, it's not a good time, Mordecai. Uh, not right now. I, I, I don't really feel comfortable with that. We, we've become so good at hiding uh, who we really are and, and looking out for number one, looking out for ourselves. And now you want me to out myself and, and think of someone else? And besides all that, the king hasn't talked to me in like a month. I don't even know if he ever will talk to me again. I don't know if I can do it. Then he makes that, that famous statement, who knows, but you have been placed here for such a time as this. And God grabs her heart and she goes. And this is exactly what God wants us to understand. That, that as long as we are thinking of ourselves and protecting ourselves, there was not a chance in the world that she was going to be able to hide the truth. In just a matter of days, they were going to see that Mordecai was a Jew. He'd already put on the sackcloth, already put on the ashes. That identified him immediately as a Jew. Everyone already heard him talk about his cousin, Esther. Oh, my cousin Esther is the queen. Cousins means the same religion. A Jew plus a Jew equals a Hebrew. There's no way they weren't going to see through their little ruse and know the truth. You can't hide the truth for long. As long as you're focusing on self, it will lead to destruction. If we... If we lay self down, then God can use us powerfully. Number three, as God writes our story, there comes to a point in our story where there needs to be a, um, a deep cleaning. A deep cleaning. Look at, look at chapter 9 again, but let's look at verse 13. The, uh, the, 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 the new law has taken effect. The, the Jews begin to destroy their enemies. And we get to chapter 9, verse 13. It says this. If it pleases the king, Esther answered... Just pause right there. Think about this for a minute. Do you remember how much she had to work up her own gumption and wherewithal to even walk into the presence of the king the first time? And now it's like anytime she wants something, any idea that pops into her head, she goes right to him. So there's been a huge change in Esther. Verse 13. If it pleases the king, Esther answered, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this same day's edict tomorrow as well. And while we're at it, let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. So this is what she's going for. What is going on here? What is happening here? What, why, would, why would cute little, beautiful little, sweet little orphan girl Esther suddenly be going for blood? Is, is, has she turned bloodthirsty? Has she, has she turned into a, a vengeful queen seeking revenge, wanting to slaughter publicly and, and hang them on poles? All those who have opposed her has all of this power, all of this wealth, all of this, all this beauty gone to her head. Is that what's going on with Queen Esther here? Why would she, why would she ask for that? Hey, Lord uh, uh, King, what we've been allowed to do today would you give us one more day? We're going to need another 24 hours. There's still a few turkeys out there left. We need to go get those as well, chop off their heads, and then we're good. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard of, Esther. Unless, unless you remember the history. Nearly every single Hebrew king, nearly every single male king from Saul to Zedekiah was disobedient. Nearly every single Hebrew king was disobedient. They were not willing because they lacked the courage or the perseverance or the wherewithal to eradicate sin all the way to the last little bit. To fully eradicate sin from the kingdom, to fully eradicate sin from their own households, to fully eradicate sin from their own hearts. They were instead allowing 
ungodly things like idols or, or idol worship or, 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 or societal norms, sin to creep into their, into their kingdom, into their worship, even into their own hearts. Weak men, weak leaders led to weak homes, weak ministries, weak worship, and even weak churches. All because they wouldn't follow it all the way to the end. They left a remnant of sin that sat and spoiled and festered and grew and took over the whole batch. Folks, how is your camp? <laughs> how is your heart? How is your spirit? Have you left a, a remnant of sin there? I mean, God's, God's taken so much of your old self away. So, you are so different than how you met Jesus. And yet there's, there's still a remnant there that you know and he knows about. And maybe no one else does. You must not, you may not, we cannot leave that remnant there. That will remain that remnant and it will continue to fester and to spread and to spoil. We must eradicate, even as Esther did. God bless her for the, for the wherewithal and the gumption, the courage it took to carry this thing through until every single one of the, of the Lord's enemies was eradicated from her life and from her kingdom. And then number four, as we, as we continue to see how God writes our story, uh, there are times when he says, listen, Listen, don't touch the merchandise, all right? Let me, let me look at this passage and see. Uh, there you go, first. Let me read the whole passage. You're going to see, you'll see a few different sections that are underlined. See if you can catch what, what it is. Uh, this is chapter 9, verse 10. Let me read a little bit here. The ten sons of Haman, of Habadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Verse 11, the number of those killed in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king that same day. The king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the ten sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? It will be granted. Verse 13, again, we just read it. If it pleases the king, Esther answered, give the Jews and Susa permission to carry out this same thing tomorrow as well and let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. Verse 14. So the king commanded that this be done. An edict was issued in Susa and they impaled the ten sons. They were already the, the ten dead sons. Just to make that really clear. Okay. Verse 15. But when she does something, she does it right. God bless her. I, I, you know, when, when someone does something and does it right... That just warms my soul. I, I love that. Something done and done well. She's my hero. Verse 15. The Jews in Susa came together to the 14th day of the month of Adar. They put to death in Susa 300 men. Oh, here it is again. But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Verse 16. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies, they killed this time, watch this, 75,000 of them. But, again, they did not lay their hands on the plunder. What is going on here? Why? You know the rule. If you read something once in the Bible, it's important. But if you read the same idea, the same sentence, the same thought, two, three, four more times, it must be really important. So here we are reading this idea. They did not lay their hands on the plunder three times. This must be a really big deal. Why? Well, if you look back... 
old Haman, he not only allowed, permitted, he actually encouraged that they plunder the Jews. Why? Well, because he really, really, really wanted them to all die. There were plenty of Jew haters around that would have gladly obliged and killed their neighbors just so because they wanted to. But others needed a little push. As they said, if you do it, you can have the keys to his Cadillac. If you do it, you can steal his house or, or pull over his hot tub to your backyard. Whatever it was, you could take the plunder. This was ensuring the entire nation would do the bidding of Haman. Now we get to the, the edict of Mordecai. Here he does. says the same thing again. As you're defending yourself, if you kill one of your enemies, don't go after them. But as you're defending yourself and you kill them, you may have the plunder. So two times it's, it's, it's permitted, maybe even encouraged, and here it's not. Why? Let me give you a little history. Do you remember back probably the first or second week of the whole series, we were talking about the, the whole Hatfield-McCoy feud that was going on here? Actually, we have, we have a family out of, out of Kentucky, the McCoys. They're actually part of the Hatfield and McCoy, so I sure hope we don't have any Hatfields because it's going to get ugly here in a minute. But, uh, but anyways, so the Hatfield, this, this feud that happened between the Jews and, and, and old uh, um, Haman's family, and, and that was probably a lot of what happened that led to this. Well, back in the days, let me explain how that happened. The Jews were held captive in Egypt way in the very beginning. God released them. They were on their way to the promised land, heading through the desert. Hiding behind the very first rock was a group of folks called the Amalekites. The Amalekites said, we're going to get these guys. We're going to take care of them. We're going to steal all they got. They don't even know what's coming. They're freshly freed. They, they have no organization. They have no army. I'm sure we can win. So they, they attack them at their weakest possible moment. The thing that's crazy about it is they're actually family. The Amalekites are the descendants of Esau. The Jews are the descendants of Jacob. Jacob later named Israel. They were actually brothers. They should have been family. They should have been helping, but instead they're taking advantage. This infuriates God. He tells Joshua, get out there and take care of him. He does. And they're defeated. Hundreds of years later, now we're in the book of Samuel. God's still salty about the whole thing. He tells Saul, the very first king, listen, those those Amalekites are still around. Now they've got a king named Agog. I want you to go in there. I want you to wipe them all out. King, everything. Wipe them all out. I want nothing left. Saul says, okay, I'll do it. And he's super obedient and wiping out all the the bad stuff that he doesn't want. (laughs) But the good stuff, he's like, oh, why waste all this good stuff? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the good stuff for me, and we're going to wipe out all the bad stuff for God. As he gets back, God confronts him and says, you kept the plunder. You're not supposed to keep the plunder. Here we are hundreds of years later, and look what happens. The Jews never forgot. The Jews never forgot. They said, what Saul did wrong, what our forefathers did wrong, we're going to make right. And they said, whatever happens, guys, whatever they say, whatever they do, don't take the plunder. We're going to be obedient. We're going to do it right. When Mordecai sees this, he says, can you believe it? God, can you believe it? He says, write this down. No, write it down again. Write it down one more time. I am so proud of these guys. This is what it's all about. They made right what their forefathers did wrong. Here's the deal, folks. There are things that you are not meant to touch. There are things that you are not meant to lay your hands on. Your neighbor, maybe even your Christian brother or sister, it's okay for them to lay their hands on or touch or or to drink or to eat or to be a part of. Maybe that's between them and the Lord. But there are things in your world, in your life, in your family that you are not meant to touch. 
You are not meant to look at. You are not meant to be a part of. It's not up to me to make the rules of what those things are or are not. That's between you and the Lord. But when God tells you those things, don't touch them. God is calling us to understand what Paul said all the way in the New Testament. He said, all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. All right, folks, so if, if, this, is, if this is our story, what, what God's written here for Esther, for Mordecai, for his people thousands of years ago, and we believe, and we believe God is writing our story as well, how does this thing kind of pull together? How do we know if we are truly living out the story that God has written for us? Go back to chapter 8 one more time. Chapter 8, verse 17 says it this way. Chapter 8, verse 17 says this. So in every province, so in every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and with celebrating. And many of the other nationalities became Jews because of fear of the Jews had seized them. Folks, this is the question. This is how you know if the story that God has written for your life, if you are living out that story, if you are making a difference like the people of God thousands of years ago did, if you are making a difference where you live. Did you hear the story? Now, don't, don't get caught up on the word fear. It's not like they were scared to death of the Jews. Oh, they're going to beat us up or they're going to kill us. Remember, everything the Jews were doing at this point was defensive. They were protecting themselves and their wives and their children. That, that's what they were doing. It was like, oh, now they're scared. They're going to raise up an army and come kill us too. That's not the kind of fear. It's the kind of fear of uh, really, really a, a, a panic or a dread or being frozen. Really, in, in, in English, probably the best way to say it is to be stopped in your tracks. So when the Jews were present in a family, when the Jews were present in a village, when the Jews were present in a certain workplace, in a school setting, in a community, when Jews were present, it stopped people in their tracks. It gave them, it gave them pause to think, to be concerned. Where am I? Who am I? Why does God handle so differently with the Jews? There was no way for a Jew to be present and there to be no change in their environment. Everywhere they went, it caused people to stop in their tracks. Folks, brothers and sisters who have been here or in some church somewhere for decades, for decades, what response does your presence make in your family, in your little group of friends, even here in your church? What presence do, uh, how does your presence affect a room or a relationship do folks act differently or do they think differently because you're there? Do you cause folks to consider Christ? Do you cause them to even become a believer? Or is there no noticeable difference at all because people have been with you? Do they leave a conversation? Do they leave a relationship? Do they leave time spent with you completely unchanged? That was not the case thousands of years ago with the people of, people of God. Folks, I, 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 I confess to you that this is not easy, but this is where we're headed. God is calling us to live the story that he has written for us. God wrote an incredible story for Esther and for Mordecai, the likes of which we've never seen in Hollywood or anywhere, and it was all written for this one verse. 
so that the nations, the people outside of the family of God would see and they would stop in their tracks. They would be forced to consider their own life and what, what God has done in the lives of his people. And they came to faith. Is that happening through your life? If not, if not, I implore you to pray, continue reading his word, and come talk to me or Pastor Matt, Pastor Philip, Pastor Chuck, your, your, your belong group leader. Let's talk about what that might look like to live a life like Esther, a life like Mordecai. Let's pray. Father God, that is our prayer. We are praying that you would send us more Mordecais. You would give us more Esthers. Or maybe, Lord, a better prayer is this. Lord, make, make me a Mordecai, make me an Esther. Allow me to see in my life the things that you allowed Esther and Mordecai and the people of God in those days to see. God, we, we so long to see the nations of our world turn to you solely because of our presence and our witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, if it takes an incredible story with huge ups and even deeper downs, in our life, like it was for Esther and Mordecai, God, we, we lay our lives on the table. We allow you the signet ring of the king, the, the blank check. We lay our blank check on the table, Father. However, wherever, whatever you choose to do in and through us, Father, we are already saying yes. So that our world, our world would come to you because of our presence and our witness among them. Jesus, I encourage my brothers and I encourage my sisters to take heart and to hold on to the words of this story, to not, 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 not live in fear, not believe these stories are for others, but these stories are for every one of us, even the little orphan girls with no hope, and the Jew that was one day, even six hours away from death. God, you took these two and you did incredible things. We hope and we know and we trust that you will do the same through us. Thank you, Jesus. And we do love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.